0: This episode is sponsored by Brooklyn Candle Studio. If you are like me and you love candles throughout your home, just to give an extra sense of luxury and serenity and make me think that I'm at the spa when I'm not, um then you're gonna love this company. Brooklyn Candle Studio is female-owned, it was founded by Tamara Main in 2013. Everything is made in Brooklyn and everything has a very luxurious feel to it. Um, The candles are 100% soy wax, plant-based and renewable. All the products are free from phthalates, parabens, sulfates, petroleum and dyes. And all of the vessels that they come in can be reused and repurposed because they're so beautiful. Like you can just put Q-tips and leave it in your bathroom and it'll just be a nice addition to that. So if you want to check them out, please head on over to brooklyncandlestudio.com and use my code MOTHERHOOD20 to save You are listening to the Motherhood Unstressed podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am so glad that you're here, as always, and I am excited to share the work of my guest with you this week. We're deviating from nonfiction. Uh, My guest is an author of a new novel called The Long Answer. In this new novel, Anna is covering a wide range of topics, all related to motherhood, even the period before you become a mother. And it gets into a lot of heavy themes that I think all of us have dealt with or know someone who has in, in terms of motherhood and just everything that comes with it, because it's there's so much that I think we're just never prepared for until you live it. And so I was excited to have her on the show. Uh, this conversation is going to be all about how she wrote the book, uh, what motivated her, her own journey. And then also we talk about the greater complexities of motherhood and female relationships in particular. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please share it out and please leave us a review. Enjoy this episode with author Anna Hoagland. Well, hello, Anna. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here.
1: I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Like I was saying before, um, when I looked at your work and your new book and just everything that you're bringing to the world, I knew that there was a natural alignment for the listeners of this show. So before we get into all about the book and, and the work that you're doing, can you give us a little bit of your origin story and how the events in your life led you to the page.
1: I, I'm i from the Berkshires, um, a very rural part of Massachusetts. It's very beautiful. And I wrote a lot as a child, but I sort of lost sight of it when I was a little older, like teenage years and even into college. I didn't wasn't writing creatively at all. Um, I wasn't even reading as much fiction. I think I... I got this sense, I don't remember anyone telling me explicitly that writing fiction wasn't a viable career choice for me, but I definitely absorbed that message. I think primarily from what we were taught, what we were reading and in classes, I didn't really see any of my own interests or experiences or writers who reminded me of myself being canonized and taught in that way. And so I I tried to do more um, what I thought of as more practical career choices, and ended up becoming a therapist. And I really loved that work. I still love that work. Um, But the more I was doing therapy work, the more I realized that the writing drive and the creative imperative in me was only getting stronger. It wasn't quieting the way that I had um, anticipated it would if I just sort of like didn't look at it for long enough. And so I ended up applying to MFA programs and didn't think I got in. And then I, I was very lucky to be accepted um, and was able to give writing my full attention for the first time in my life. And I only fell more and more in love with that life and, and having reading and writing be my primary occupations um, of my time. And I found I really couldn't go back to ignoring that, that inspiration once I had started to give it more attention.
0: Yeah. I mean, we talk a lot about on this show about like following the whispers of our soul and that intuition that kind of just, it just leaves these little breadcrumbs. And if we're brave enough to go after it, it's like this whole other world opens up. Was there a moment like when you were sitting in class or, you know, writing something, a piece that you were going to turn in that you were like, this is really fun. Like I feel like this isn't homework, like this is life-giving.
1: I I can't think of a specific moment, but I felt that way. There were so many moments like that. Um, And I remember the first time, this is kind of a moment that sticks out of sending my, giving my writing to somebody for the first time, my creative writing. And it was this, this boy that I had just met. um, And I know that he wanted to be a writer as well, and he was willing to share writing. And so that always helps if it feels like a reciprocated thing. Um, and he was so encouraging, but also helped me to see ways in which it could be stronger. And I found myself really wanting to go back to that piece of work and make it better. And, um, we ended up getting married. He's my husband now. Ah. Um, and it's always been a part of our relationship, like sharing our work. And I, I, I hope that I would have found my way to becoming a writer eventually anyway. But I think that meeting we, we met each other at a time when we were both really trying to make that a bigger part of ourselves. And I think helped each other um, make it real and not just a fantasy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, that just spurs so many questions about like what happens when we're truly on our life's path, you know, like our highest alignment with, with what we love to do, what we're actually good at, what, you know, we see progress in making and the progress feels good. And I think that that's such a clear example of that. It's like you were doing what you were interested in love to do. And then you meet your future husband, who's also helping you. It's like all these elements of the universe coming together to help you on your, on your journey, on your path while you're here on earth. And uh, I just think that that's, that's just really cool. And I love that that happened for you. Um, But let's let's get into the culmination of of all of your hard work into your debut novel, The Long Answer. Um, And I was reading all the reviews on this. I mean, it's just been there's been an overwhelming response. What was it that that made you want to bring these stories in particular about the complexities of female relationships, about the grief and the burden that mothers face that nobody really talks about? What made you want to birth this book? to the world.
1: It was really what you just said about no one really talking about them. And I felt so, I mean, I think these conversations are happening and actually more and more I've seen even the last several months, part of that being the overturning of Roe. But also just, I've, I've seen more conversations around it, but I still feel like they are so, they are done on such a small intimate scale, like friend to friend, mother to daughter, sister to sister, when they happened, it seems like they were happening on that level. And I felt so humbled by pregnancy really right away. I started writing this book early on in my first pregnancy and before anything had gone wrong with my own pregnancy, I was so, uh, just, I needed stories of how other women had navigated this extremely natural and normal process that was also so extraordinary and uncomfortable and exciting and scary and all of the things. And I just wasn't finding it. I couldn't believe that I wasn't finding those stories, um, in the places I thought I would like in the library or, um, even on online so much. And that desire became much more of a, a mandate for me when I lost my pregnancy at five months. It was a um, a very severe heart defect that we, we learned about at the anatomy scan at 20 weeks. And so it was a abortion, a late-term abortion. And I could not – I felt even more at sea in terms of finding stories that could help me to understand what was happening – in my own body, in my own life. And also, I would say even more importantly, how to move past that shock and grief and go on to try to get pregnant again, because I still wanted a baby. And how have, you know, pregnancy loss is unfortunately quite common. My type of pregnancy loss is less, less so, you know, that late, that far along. Um, but still many, many, many people have gone through it. And I was not Finding, I needed a, a guide, and I I was very fortunate to have a couple of people in my life, namely my own mother, who had a similar type of loss with a pregnancy before me. Who I just talked on the phone with her for hours and hours in those days right after the loss, um, and just started writing what we were talking about. And in in some ways, I feel like the book is full of my imaginary friends that i wished that i had been able to talk to during that time and some of them are based more or less in f- stories i had actually heard but th- but they're really a, the line between fiction and reality gets blurred very quickly even for me and i felt like i needed those stories and then i felt really in, um again it didn't feel like a choice it felt like a mandate to to write them and then try to put them in the world for other people who might need them.
0: This episode is sponsored by Lunia. Lunia's mission is to elevate rest ever since it was founded in 2014 by Los Angeles native Ashley Merrill. Now, if that name rings a bell, there's a good reason because she has been on the show not once, but twice. The most recent episode, episode 245. Now, we talk all about motherhood and managing stress and running a business, but we also talk about her beautiful brand. Known for pioneering washable silk, they have since expanded into other signature fabrics like organic Pima and cozy cotton silk. Everything Lunya makes is designed to tangibly improve rest with products as functional as they are beautiful. Lunya maintains a painstaking attention to detail quality and construction because they see their pieces as the anti old t-shirt. They are the uniform for those who share their belief that resting is the most important time of the day. So if you would like to get some Alunia apparel of your own, please use my code Unstress 20 to save at lunia.co that's L U N Y A dot C O. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hear that so often, you know, what I've had, many authors on the show and they all kind of say that like the book chose them to bring to the world and you know everyone's unique experience affects the writing and i i feel like even your your background in psychotherapy affects your ability to accurately write you know these women into existence i mean did you find that when you were writing these stories you know you call them imaginary friends but they just so visually real, you know, did you find that your background in that better enabled you to write these stories? Or do you feel like they were always going to come through as vibrant as they did?
1: I think that being a therapist has helped my writing in, uh, in so many ways. Um, and I actually just closed my practice and it feels really nice in terms of time. I have a little more time to write and to be with my daughter, but I know that, this, I mean, I was basically getting a daily digest of several hours of people talking about their lives very intimately. And that is such an honored position to be in and did inspire me in also just in life, you know, not, not just in writing, but definitely in writing as well. And when you hear similar themes and people, I see a lot of, um, women who are, most of my clients are cis women not all but just most of them are cis women around childbearing age like uh, or or trying to get pregnant or just had a baby and so these themes are very much in my clinical work as well and hearing so many of them say thoughts that I've had and fears that I've had and this them talking about like why didn't anyone tell me so many things and I would have loved to have some more narratives around this and it So not only was I getting their stories in just so much beautiful detail there, I think so many people are just such naturally brilliant storytellers, um, but also emboldened to me to know that I am not the only person who has thought about these things, felt these things and felt alone in these things. Even though I think we know intellectually, we're often not alone. It can really feel it can feel very isolating and it can be hard to realize to really absorb that other people are going through this. And even if they are like, we're not talking to them or we don't know them, we might be on an online forum with them tops. Um, so this, I felt like I wanted to communicate to, I I just want to bring some themes that they were working through that I was also working through just into something that could be more widely shared. Cause I think that the, reason these stories are so quiet is it's kind of a chicken or the egg, maybe that they're not in mainstream media as much. And so we don't talk about them. And because we don't talk about them as much, they're not brought into mainstream media. So I just wanted to push that for for many personal reasons and also political reasons. And um, many, many reasons felt like I wanted this to be talked about more and talked about with more nuance as well.
0: Yeah. And I think I think you're spot on. I mean, it is because we don't have these stories, you know, on the shelves and have had them for years and people can just reference and feel emboldened themselves when they read books like yours. Do you feel like there is a major shift happening? Um, You know, even just publishers saying yes to to books like this. Do you feel like there is a shift happening across the country, across the world towards more honest, raw, real unglamorized storytelling, um, about women by women?
1: I think there is a bit. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, don't know every book that's coming out at the moment, but I am seeing more titles that are, are around and just articles and, um, little features and lots of things. And I'm kind of, they stick out to me more, but I think now, but I think that there, there are also just more of these stories and, again, that's partly because of politically what's going on, but also I feel like there's been a, a culture shift toward more truth telling. And, um, it seems related to intuition to me as well. And more, um, just, just sharing and trying to break any shame or stigma that might be surrounding these issues for so many people. And I think the more we bring them to light, the the more it, minimizes those things hopefully or at least starts to normalize them more um and the i think the intuitive movement is that part of that is that i think a lot of women um and you know not just women anyone who's gone through something like this but is i'm i'm finding that a lot of people do really want to share these stories and do have a, a compulsion like i did to write them or talk to their friends about them or you know, broadcast them in some way. But we so it's not quite a ticker in the egg <laughs> because I feel like there is a force uh, that is telling people to not talk about these things and to be silent around them. And then it then it creates that feedback loop where you know we are quiet, so they're not brought up, and we're they're not brought up, so we are quiet. And I think there's been a real strength in numbers really reassuring, containing thing I've seen of people just sharing a lot more. And I, I really just wanted to be a part of that. I don't think we can have too many because they're all so different too. The stories are so different and we need all of the nuances and all of the differences to be shown.
0: This episode of Motherhood Unstressed is sponsored by Sambacol. Fall is right around the corner, and you know what that means? Cooler weather, layers, and of course, the kids are headed back to school. Did you check off all those items on that never-ending back-to-school list? New clothes, notebooks, pencils, brand new backpack? The kids want it all. But have you thought about how to keep them healthy when they're heading back to school? That's where Sambacol comes in. My kids and I recently started taking Sambacol every day to help support our immune system so we can keep doing what we need to do. Sambacol is made from premium European black elderberries, which are a natural source of powerful antioxidants and key vitamins like A, C, and E. They help support a healthy immune system and help you power through your day. What's so great about Sambacol is that they have tons of different ways to get your daily helping of black elderberry, like syrups, gummies, chewable tablets, drink powders, capsules, and more. They even have products made just for kids, too. Now, they might have a wide range of products, but in our house, we love the gummies. It's just such an easy and delicious way to get those key vitamins in. My listeners can get 15% off their next order of $9.99 or more at sambacolusa.com by using my promo code MOTHERHOOD15 at checkout. And here's a pro tip. Save this promo code and the website address for your notes app. I know you're busy, too busy to remember this promo code and sort through episodes to find it again. Save it. And use it when you have a few extra minutes to shop. The code again is Motherhood 15, and the website is sambacallusa.com. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's come up a lot when I've interviewed like parenting experts and psychiatrists, psychologists, it's like we want to present this facade that we have it all together, you know, in our lives. We have a beautiful home, we look good, we're in shape, we're eating healthy, we've got happy, healthy, smart kids. And so I understand, I think, why people don't want to share the harder things, you know, the the more difficult aspects of life when life feels like it's all crumbling around us. I mean, I get it, you know, like we don't want to show weaknesses because we want to seem like we have it all figured out. Do you think that that's the reason or am I missing something? Is there another reason why people close in these stories? They don't want to share them because... I mean, I've had friends who have had miscarriages and they only told a couple people. You know, they didn't they didn't share it out. They didn't talk about it. And even I feel like I can't bring it up to them now, you know, and I don't want to hurt them by bringing it up. So what do you think is really holding people back, women back, and what do you think would fully break that out, you know, if, if they do want to seek healing and
1: community? I think so much of it comes comes back to – well, a few things, one being shame, just if, if people feel like there something's wrong with them or they're at fault for any reason, I think that that would make a lot of sense why someone wouldn't want to be more vocal about it. Um, And I also think that not everyone should be, I mean, only if you want to be like, I, I think that if people grieve really privately and quietly and like to keep things to themselves, I feel like that's really important to honor as well. I kind of I feel like anyone's style and how they want to process their grief. I want that to be honored, even if it is, you know, not, not my way and, and not telling anyone about anything. Um, And then I think a much bigger and um, issue that we have culturally is, and this isn't even around specifically related to pregnancy loss, but it's just around grief in general and that discomfort, not knowing how to talk about grief, honor grief, um, make room for grief. It's so uncomfortable for so many people to talk about when there's any kind of loss in someone's life and that feeling you just described with your friends um I feel like I've been on both sides of that now like i I will have friends who goes through something really really sad and I will want to let them know I'm thinking of them, but I also don't know if they want me to respect their Privacy? Should I wait for them to come to me? And then sometimes the conversation never happens. And I have also been the one who went through something um, traumatic. And I I felt like a lot of people thought that I didn't want company or didn't want to be um, talking about what was going on. And so they distanced themselves when I I felt like it, it may have been more for their comfort. Um, actually, than than for mine, whether or not they knew that or not. And I I don't fault them because I do feel I again, I've been on the other side of it too. I know it's uncomfortable to be in the presence of grief and trauma. Um, but I would say since my own loss, I now err on the side of reaching out more than less and just texting people or leaving voice memos is, is kind of my style. Um, that I'm thinking about them or I saw this thing that made like this article or this book and send it to them. And I've been told just how much, of, how appreciated that is. Cause I, I think that yeah, again, so many people it's, it's strange who shows up and who doesn't in grief. Like I found in my, my own situation, some of the people I really thought would be very present in my life at that time warrant. And then some, Acquaintances or distant relatives were like really, really there and really present, mostly be- often because they had also been through something, even if it was totally different, knew that feeling of isolation that can come on the heels of loss.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite things about writing and books is that it does extend a handout to people who you may never talk to or meet in your life, and you are in a way uplifting them through sharing these stories of these women. Can you talk a little bit about the different characters in the book and what each faces so that the woman listening can can understand better what they would get by reading this book?
1: Sure. There are a few sort of main characters in this book. There's a, the, the Anna character um, kind of holds them all and curates their stories, but uh, one other character is currently pregnant, but processing, but thinking about, um, an earlier marriage and earlier loss and kind of a whole other life that she lived before she had this new family and this complicated feeling that she has. that I actually now share now that I have my own daughter of grieving a lost relationship and lost child, but also feeling grateful for anything that had led her to, the daughter she now has or the child she now has and the marriage she now has and this kind of holding the grief and the gratitude both. Um, that is, a, I would say, a strong theme <laughs> throughout this is grief and gratitude and and hope and sadness all at once. Um, I, there's a lot of love stories, I would say, through, I think the, the pregnancy part gets highlighted, but to me, there's a lot about forbidden love, betrayal of love. One girl, one main character is a 16 year old girl who falls in love with her sister's boyfriend, her pregnant sister's boyfriend, leads to many complications. Um, Another main character is one who gets sort of taken up by this older, she's a college student, gets taken up with this older couple who is struggling with infertility. And she kind of gets in, uh, roped into that, helping them with that. I try not to give too much away, but kind of yeah. teaser trailer <laughs> of some of the stories. And another thing I, and to me, actually, this book is about sisters and female relationships almost more than pregnancy and child making and and mother becoming, because I think those things are so inextricable. And so a big theme of the book, too, is uh, these two sisters, the Anna character and her sister, who are um, in this really uneasy arc of their pregnancies together, where one has a loss, one gets pregnant, one gets a, has a loss, and then gets pregnant. And it, they sort of take turns, and it's just so relationally complicated and emotionally charged. And to me, all a lot of that material was just to illustrate how complicated sister adult sister relationships are anyway and then when child comes into the mix it just pours gasoline on all of these dynamics that already existed in a really um interesting and heartbreaking way sometimes
0: I love it oh such a good teaser (laughs) um (laughs) I feel like you know talking about these types of things, it can feel heavy at times. And, you know, I'm sure even what, while you're doing promotion for the book, you know, it's it's hard to talk about grief and loss and, and all of these things all of the time. But writing through this and, and talking about it now, did anything surprise you? You know, did you evolve your view of sisterhood, of motherhood from the beginning of when you started the book to when you were, you know, finishing it out? <laughs>
1: Definitely. And so much of that has to do with what my own personal arc was over the course of writing this book. So I I wrote the book over three pregnancies. Um, the one that I lost at five months, and then I had an early miscarriage after that. And then I became pregnant with my daughter, who's now two. So most of the book I wrote over the course of that pregnancy with my daughter, which was a very anxious time for me because I had had previous, two previous losses. Um, And I felt very much in the mud of figuring out how to survive this moment while writing it. And I finished the book at 38 weeks and signed with my agent on my due date and then gave birth 36 hours later and sold the book a couple weeks later. So to me, the book, the book finishing and becoming a mother were really within the same breath. It was the same moment of my life. And it was very strange sometimes reading, because then there are edits that come after you sell it. So reading over the book and doing some edits, witnessing myself in this moment of my life of such unknowing and such um, pain and hope and so many emotions of that time while breastfeeding my daughter, who I now, who, who, So now I'm a mom, but reading my, my, what I didn't know if I would ever become a mother. And it's, I think this is one of those things that we always know, but then really understand when it happens to us that there is no like ending to these stories. So it's not like, oh, then I had a, a baby and that was the end of my story for most people, that's what they consider the beginning of their motherhood journey is when they have the baby. Um, and so it's now that the book is, is over, but I'm still, I'm, you know, I'm the Anna writer, a real person is now a mother who's holding the losses that I, I think about, you know, sometimes a lot and sometimes not a lot sort of depending on what's going on. Um, and, realizing just how unprepared I was for the reality of actually having a baby. And Mm -hmm. so it's, the whole thing has just been so humbling, um, that the emotional complexities don't end when you get the thing that you want, (laughs) you know, having a baby is also complicated and hard and I'm so grateful and being a mom is, it's kicking my butt, you know, at the same time. (laughs) So that's what I'm writing about now. <laughs> that's, the, that's the next book.
0: Yeah, you can't stop. You have to continue this on. I thought, at the heart of what I really want to bring to the listeners is obviously knowing about the book, knowing that this exists in the world. But what ripple effect do you want it to have? Did you see for this book?
1: As I was writing it, I really wasn't. I was writing out of such a survival State that I really didn't imagine it being in the world. It was really for again the imaginary friends that I feel like I needed at that at this time of my life. It's been more recently, I'd say in the last year or so. I sold it two years ago. That I have been thinking more about that. What kind of impact do I want this to have? And I, I hope it has. This is just my hope. I don't know if any of these will happen, but my hopes are that. Some people reading it will just see, feel, feel seen and validated and and feel sure that their stories are important too. And that would happen when anything that has happened to them is real and matters and is worthy of literature and being in books and and just help them with whatever they are going through. And I also am having more um hopes that it might actually sway. Some people who aren't fully aware of what abortion really means, like what all the ways that abortion can look like. So I think that my the abortion that I had is one that I haven't seen discussed very much, really from from any side. It's sort of absent from the discussion, the political discourse completely around um, babies who will not survive or you know might survive for a very very short time in a pain very painful short life, um, that that is also abortion. And I, so I'm feeling more of a political drive now, you know, now retrospectively that this might complicate the view that some people have around who gets an abortion and why, and what that looks like. And might make some people think a little bit differently, maybe even vote a little differently in my highest hopes around some of these issues, um, and just be talking about it more talking about it. the more complicated we see the any issue of reproductive choices the better i think when we start to really oversimplify and and have ideas of archetypes around who has this and who doesn't it's so much easier to other and discriminate and if we see everyone who goes through something like this as like really human and really full of lots of, it's just, there's so much going on with every single person who goes through something like this. And it's not something that really anyone wants to go through, even if they're choosing it. Um, so I'm hoping that it it will contribute some facets of that, that I haven't seen very much.
0: Yeah. I mean, storytelling is the best way to really help others understand and have a more empathetic view. I mean, I fully believe that. I mean, I I, I said this quote all the time, but you live one life, you read you live a thousand lives and you are contributing to that. So thank you. Well, we are almost to the end of time. If you have anything that you want the listener to walk away with from this book, from your work, from this talk, what would that be?
1: That your, what is happening in your body and what is what your what you consider your story to be is just as important as anyone else's. I think there's no no person's story that isn't worth being written about and some of us have you know really traumatic, high profile lives and most of us don't and that doesn't but that doesn't mean that whatever your life is is not worthy of being written about or talked about. And not all of us want that, but I think that those are the stories that can influence us the most is people who we think of as ordinary. I don't really believe there's any ordinary people, but people who are living, uh, you know, sort of un- unglamorous, un- not, not high profile lives. And if we can really believe that our stories are, our own stories are really crucial. Um, I think that will have a ripple effect and, and more of us will start to feel that way and, I think that only good things can come from believing that that your body and your story has all the value in the world.
0: Yeah. Well, even your personal story, I think, is a testament to that, you know, following the whispers and following your heart. And, and you do, making that decision and leaving the safety of a career to do this work is going to help. I know so many other women, so I'm honored to provide a platform for your story and your book to the world. Anna, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, definitely looking forward to uh, not only this book, but the future books that you will bring.
1: Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure.
0: You have been listening to the Motherhood Unstressed podcast. Please remember to review and subscribe to this podcast.